Christ. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn in it to Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 30. That's going to be our scripture reading for this evening. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. But the Apostle Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of For I have no one like who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven work. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice to see him, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father God, again, we open up your word, God, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the revelation of yourself, of your son, of your gospel that we find in your word. We ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would use these verses to, to challenge us, to shape us, uh, to encourage us, to convict us, that you would use them in, in whatever way uh, you know is necessary in our hearts um, that we would grow in Christ's likeness. God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word preached. God, we thank you for the fact that this Lord's Day, we thank you for all the churches in Fort County who have preached that word. Father, we, we pray for, for sister congregation. We pray for Smoky Mountain Presbyterian. Uh, we pray for uh, our, our sending church. We pray, pray for Pleasant Grove Baptist. And we pray for sister congregations like St. Brennan's, England. And we pray for uh, friends and brothers and sisters in Christ in these congregations where your word was preached to them and how you were using each of those congregations to minister to the communities, to the people who attend in those places. God, we believe that, that your spirit is capable of doing uh, a great work far beyond what it seemed we were capable of as, as individuals and as churches and as associations. Um, God, that your spirit uh, is capable of igniting uh, a fire in people's hearts. God, that you can convict of sin, that you can uh, make people recognize their need of Jesus Christ. Um, God, in fact, not only do we know that you can do these things, God, we know that you do them and that it is necessary for you to do um, if it. If it were not for your spirit moving, uh, we would see uh, no work being done. We would not see the word working on the lives of your people in any way. 
And yet we see that. We see that each week. We know it's working because God is working on us. It's working on those we encounter, uh, those we talk to, those we hear about. So God, we would ask that you would continue that work and multiply that work. And that you would speak to us through your word by your spirit and that, uh, that we would know what it was that you would have to teach us to say. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so let me, let, I'll, I'll begin with sort of this comment and the fact that we live in a day that's very skeptical of heroes, right? Uh, we are constantly in our culture um, tearing down our heroes, um, tearing down our examples. Um, we have swung the pendulum from, from this side all the way to the other, which is typically what humans tend to do, right? We never can find a healthy central area to settle in. We have to we have to swing between two opposing things. So we kind of I remember as a child we we uh, at least in the schools that I went to and, and things like that um, we tended to do the opposite. We tended to hide the flaws of our heroes. Um, we never talked about the the negative things they did, and so those people almost gained a mythic status in our eyes. So obvious examples of that would be. You probably remember being a, a kindergartner or first or second grader and learning about George Washington or learning about Abraham Lincoln or people like that. People almost seemed like Herculean, right, in their in their character. Um, but at some point during life or the world or something, we, we move into this sort of deconstructionist phase where um, all of a sudden you, you start noticing that every single book is called something like what they didn't teach you in history class or things like that, right? The real person that you never knew um, or whatever. So I probably told you the story of going in 2017 to a symposium at UT um, entitled, Will the Real Martin Luther Please Stand Up? And they had a guest speaker who was an expert on Martin Luther, um, two professors from the, from UT who were were there to comment as well. They had a big each of them kind of gave a little lecture and they all had a discussion. And at the end of the whole process, if I had to summarize in one word what each of those people said about who the real Martin Luther was, the answer was complicated, bigot, bigot. That was who Martin Luther. Probably almost without argument, the most influential person in the last 500 years of history, the person who changed the world more than anybody else, and certainly in the Western world. And who was he? Complicated big thing, right? That's who he was. So here's the deal. It is always true that our heroes are the people that we hold up as examples at feet of blood. That is true in every single circumstance. We are all sinners, we are all fail in numerous ways. We all have inconsistencies. We all have these issues, right? But also at the same time, the Bible never encourages us to, the, the Bible still, regardless of the fact that we have feet in play, still encourages us to emulate worthy leaders, right? It still encourages us to look at people who are living faithfully, at least in certain areas of their life, and to model our own lives after those people and the way of living. So showing honor, modeling our lives after those places of faithfulness, that is a good and right thing. So what we've already seen in this book so far is that in Philippians, 
Paul has been giving us examples to follow. He said, hey, here's some people who you can look to, and you can live like they have lived. The primary one, obviously, is Jesus, okay? Jesus had been put forward, that whole section we read in chapter 2, talking about Jesus um, not holding on to divinity as something to be grasped, that whole section. It points to the idea that that Jesus is their ultimate model, right? I think we all know that. If you're a Christian, you're like, yes, I should look to Jesus and be like him. Check. I knew that part, okay? Um, Jesus is our ultimate example, but he's not our only example. And, and and Paul talks about other examples to look to. For one, he is indirectly pointing towards himself and saying, you should look to me, Paul, as an example of, of life and character and someone from the Philippian church that he's writing to to imitate. And so Paul, in other places in Scripture, will say, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so Paul is willing to say, I'm following Christ close enough that you can look to me and follow my example, and you'd be in a pretty good place. But here in this passage, Paul goes beyond that, and he gives us two faithful leaders in the church that he encourages them to look towards as examples of humility and sacrifice. And so again, we've talked about this this idea already of we've been building on this theme of, of Paul saying, what is unity? What is the cost of unity? How do we form unity? In the church. And he says part of the way we do that is we have to live humble and sacrificial lives. We have to place other people's needs ahead of our own. We have to um, look out for the good and the needs of others in at least the same amount that we would look out for, for the good and needs of ourselves. And so Paul says, Jesus has done this. Follow his example. I have done this. Follow my example. And here in this passage, we see two other examples of humble failures. Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's do a quick bio. Timothy. Timothy's probably the one that you're more familiar with, and there's a reason for that. On Paul's first missionary journeys, we've talked about these different missionary journeys of Paul throughout um, our study of Philippians. He had planted a church in the cities of Lystra and Derby. For modern context, those were in central Turkey uh, nowadays, okay? He had planted churches and moved on. Then, as he'd come back to Jerusalem and started his second missionary journey, he basically went back and followed his path, revisiting those cities where uh, he established churches. And now, in those cities, there were firmly established, growing churches in these places, including Lystra and Derby. That's where we first meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16. So Paul is coming back through this region. He meets Timothy. Timothy is a well-respected member of the congregation there in one of those two cities. We're not exactly sure which one it was. His mother is a Jew who has converted to Christianity, along with his grandmother, and the two of their names are are Lois and Eunice. And his father is a Greek person. We don't know for sure if he was a believer or not. But Timothy is obviously a person in that congregation of, of character and reputation. Um, He's a person who the rest of the congregation sees the Holy Spirit working in despite his age. And that's something that gets some sort of bandied about, right? We don't know exactly how young Timothy was. He is advised in one of his letters, it says, don't let people look down on your youth. And so we go, oh, he must be like 21 or something. Probably not. Probably he was older than that, right? But obviously he wasn't a 
a, a very senior person or they wouldn't be looking down on his youth, okay? And so he's probably middle-aged somewhere. He's probably old enough that he would rightly take responsibilities, but young enough there were people could see still see him as a whippersnapper in some way or something like that. So, but what we see is that Paul sees in Timothy uh, something that, that, that he recognizes. Um, Paul takes Timothy as basically his right-hand man, and we encounter Timothy at various points throughout the book of Acts and throughout all of Paul's letters where Paul mentions he is frequently in the stories either left behind in a city by Paul or sent ahead of Paul to a city that he doesn't he hasn't had time to get there yet. But the reason in both cases is because Paul knows that he can trust Timothy and that Timothy will be either a good person to keep people things stable after he leaves or a good person to get things ready um, before Paul gets there. He has apparently appointed confidence in Timothy. And from church tradition, it is likely that Timothy ends up being the pastor of the church of Ephesus, uh, or at least one of the pastors of the church of Ephesus. If you don't know anything about that, the church of Ephesus was one of the most important congregations in the early church. Again, tradition-wise, we think the Apostle John also ends up in Ephesus and is there as a pastor for a while. So, I mean, I don't know if you can imagine that, right? But that would be pretty cool. You're like, oh, who's the elders at your church? Oh, well, John the Apostle and Timothy, you know, Paul's right-hand man. That would have been a pretty cool church for you to go to. Like, you just are like, there's a guy in Ash. He's got a beard. And that's all you've got, right? But, like, Ephesus would have been a cool place to, to land. And so we think Timothy ended up being pastor. And so, again, probably the main way we know about Timothy is two of Paul's letters bear his name. He wrote to Timothy specifically addressing him as an individual person, as a pastor, and giving advice on being a pastor. So he's, he's one of the most significant characters in the New Testament, right? And then there's Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, on the other hand, we know almost nothing about. In fact, just about everything we know about Epaphroditus, we read today. Uh, that's most of what we know about. A little bit of more reference to it in, in Philippians, but that's about it. Um, he is a pastor elder in the church of Philippi. The reason why he has come to Rome is to minister to Paul in his time of need. But um, church tradition, again, not the Bible, but tradition tells us that eventually he became the first bishop of Philippi in that region. Um, some commentaries try to combine his character um, with another person that we see in the New Testament named Epaphras, not Epaphroditus, uh, but there's really no reason to do that. We don't know that they're the same person. They don't seem to have overlapping anything, so it's probably the case they're two completely different people. But really, at the end of the day, that's all we know about. We don't know anything more about Epaphroditus. So one person who we know much about, another person who we know almost nothing about, but what is significant is that Paul zooms in on basically the same characteristics in the both of them that are worthy of emulation, right? Worthy of, of seeing these men and saying, I want to live like these men have lived, even though they manifest in maybe a little bit unique ways each of their lives. So let's kind of begin at that, that, that around verse 19. And obviously in the text, Paul is mainly addressing Timothy first and then Epaphroditus after, but we'll kind of combine the stories together as we go. So in verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I 
two may be cheered by news of it. So Paul's basically saying, I want to send this guy ahead. He's going to come back um, and tell me about you. For I have no one like who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So the first characteristic Paul's looking to, he's not just saying, hey, you should look at Timothy and do everything Timothy does, right? We just said that a second ago. Every single person who is lifted up as an example is going to have areas of their life, because we're all sinners, that you shouldn't emulate, okay? We don't know anything about Timothy in terms of those things, but we know because he's human, there are going to be situations like that, okay? But there are certain things that are true. The first one is this. A characteristic to look to, to honor in those who are leaders over you, or really anybody who is um, a leader in your community, is this. They would have a genuine concern and a longing for God's people. That they would have a genuine concern and a longing for God's people. So all three of these men, Timothy, Epaphras, Epaphroditus, and Paul, all demonstrate this Genuine concern for God's people. Paul in this passage is saying what? He's basically saying, I want to know what's going on with you guys in Philippi. And the way I'm going to find that out, I want to check in on you. I want to see how you're doing. I want to help support you in any way that I can. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to send Timothy to you. Okay? Timothy's going to bring word back about you to me, but also Timothy's going to minister to you while he's there. Because the reality is, is I've got nobody like Timothy. I've got nobody, and he goes on to say, no one that will show genuine concern for you the way Timothy will show concern for you. He says, everybody else at the end of the day, man, they may be good dudes, and they may be working for the Lord in different ways, but the truth is, is this. In so many of these other people who are around Paul, he says, their main focus is not Jesus, but their own interests. And we've already heard about that earlier in the book of Philippi, right? That there are these other people who are trying to play Paul's imprisonment to their own advantage in some way in ministry or something like that. We've already heard about these people. But Paul says, Timothy's different from those guys, okay? Uh, he will have a genuine concern for them. The same is true of Epaphroditus. But Epaphroditus sort of in the reverse way. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. That's his home and his church. So that's why he's concerned to get back to the church at, at Philippi. But his genuine concern for God's people is seen in the fact that he came to minister to Paul in the first place. Right? So he didn't have to, but when he heard Paul was in trouble in prison, he said, you know what I'm going to do? Pick up I'm going to go to him. And I'm going to do what I can to serve. I can do what I can to minister or whatever. Imagine just a, a modern day scenario like that. If you had a friend who was a missionary, uh, and you found out, you know what? They're having a hard time in the country that they're serving in right now. So things are going down. There's some political opposition. They're having some hard times or whatever. And you said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go help you. I'm going to pick up and I'm going to go there. Um, and I'm going to find a way to make that happen. That would demonstrate a particular kind of care and concern, not only for Paul, but for Paul's mission and for the broader people of God. And that's exactly what Epaphroditus has done. So, some of you have probably been reading, hope, uh, the, the little posts that I've been putting on Facebook. So, I've been putting these little posts on the, the Facebook group. And what they are is they are reflections on this book that I'm reading called uh, The Great Dechurching. So, what it's about is this book about how we are in the midst of the largest religious movement 
in, in probably the last 100 to 150 years, um, really, in some ways, the biggest one ever in American history, of people de-churching. So that is to say that in the last 25 years, somewhere in the range of about 40 million people have stopped going to church in the United States uh, over the last 25 years. That is a massive religious shift. And so this book is talking about the reasons for that. What do these people look like statistically? Okay, can we can we categorize what's going on in their lives in, in any kind of clumped together kind of way? So one of the things that you may have noticed from, from the little write-ups I'm doing is that pretty much every group at some level, is dealing with this idea of not feeling connected to the church, not feeling like they belong to or in the church. And so the reality is that some people are, A, never connected to a church, and then also never connected to the church as a whole. They don't form close relationships. They don't know about each other's lives. They attend services and studies or whatever like that that don't form close friendships. And obviously there are going to be all kinds of reasons for that. Sometimes it can be the church of Paul. It can be that the church is inhospitable. Sometimes it is, right, particularly to, to, to newcomers. Um, but also sometimes the church gets blamed for personality quirks in people and, and they've got their own issues and that's why they're not showing up and, and never got connected. And, and so there's a blame to, to spread around, okay? The reality is, is, in this case, Paul feels intensely close to these two men, right? He has a close, personal relationship with both of them. What is, as he talked about Epaphroditus, he says, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Okay? That's how he talks about Epaphroditus. And then it's almost more um, intimate when he talks about Timothy. He says, Timothy is like a son with his father. And some of you might be like, and I had a lot of tension with my dad or whatever, okay? But here's the picture that is painted in that, is that in the ancient world, whatever your dad did for a living, odds are you were going to end up doing that, right? And so what would end up happening is you would be trained and apprenticed from the time you were a child. You would spend each day working and serving and, and learning from your father in the trade that, that he did, which is going to be the trade that you did. And that's the picture that is painted there. The call is saying, and he is like he is he is taken to the ministry as if he were my own son, and the two of us have been doing this our entire lives. That I have been growing him into this position. But here's the deal: it's not just relation. It's not just about, about the fact that Paul knew these two guys really, really well. It's spiritually motivated underneath of that. Underneath the whole picture, right? Because if it was just relational, here would be the deal. We were talking about this earlier in, in the uh, in the discipleship study. If it was just relational, you know what would happen? If you weren't close to somebody and you didn't, you wouldn't feel responsible if it was just relational. Because right? you would sort of say, "It's just not my personality. I don't like being around people. I'm shy. I'm introverted. Whatever. Um, I don't feel like I have to be connected to people because it's just not my personality, right?" But something bigger is going on in the church. Even if you don't know a person that well, or you're not connected to them emotionally or, or relationally or something like that, um, if you don't feel like you have a need to engage, there's a deeper reality behind everything. Because the truth is, is behind those relationships, 
There is a spiritual reality, a spiritual connection that she has with Stephen. If you are united to Christ, you are family. You are sons and daughters of God. You are soldiers together in this great war. You are athletes on the same team. You are citizens of a common nation. If those are all true, those are all realities, then my feelings about how connected I am to somebody are not the most significant realities, right? Okay? So I might say, I don't feel like I need to do anything. I don't feel like I need to connect or say anything or whatever, because you know, it's just not my personality, right? But what is the reality? The reality is that you are man. Uh, it's not something you can escape. And so you need to live into that. And again, that's going to manifest itself in all kinds of different ways, partially based on our conditions and our personality and everything else. But it is a great opportunity for us to pause and ask the question and say, do I have a great concern for God's people? If not, why not? Again, not about personality, not about temperament, not about being introvert. Not about being an extrovert. That's another key piece of this. Okay? Sometimes you can be an extrovert. You can be like, friends with everybody. <laughs> you know, whatever. That doesn't mean you are living into the calling to love God's people. It just means that you're an easygoing, nice person who gets along with people, right? It's not the same thing as being, having a genuine concern for the people of God. Okay? So these things are beyond all those sort of secondary issues of, of temperament and, and personality. You know, I can say this, okay? And, and we've sort of had larger conversations about these things a little bit over the last few months and whatever. It's been, in some ways, a disturbing season, right? Um, I feel like we're kind of on a different, we're coming out of it, we're at it, whatever. But there have been, there's about six months there, beginning of the new year to, to what, there were just various things that had happened in the church and, and stuff interpersonally and different things. It had been kind of discouraging, right? Um, and here's the truth. Me, because I'm just like everybody else in the world, there's lots of mornings where I wake up, and you know what the first thought in my head is? Is I go, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, right? I don't know if I do want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't know if it's going to get better or worse. They just don't know, right? Because I'm human and I have feelings like you, even if I pretend not. Okay? But you know what always happens? Sundays are the worst. Not that it's spiritual warfare. I really do. Sundays are the worst. Like Sundays, when I wake up in the morning, uh, I wake up on a Wednesday and just be like, it's not starting, but when I wake up on a Sunday, there is often more attack, right? But guess what? You know what always makes it better? Is getting here. And that's true. Okay? That may not be your experience. That is my experience. I can go through the whole day in my head saying, this is a mess. It's a waste of time. This sermon is garbage. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where we're going. And I don't know why I'm even uh, attempting this. And then I get in you guys' presence and I go, oh yeah, I remember now. I remember all of them. Okay? You know why? Because I'm with you guys. Um, and, I, and I hope the case is that God has given me a genuine concern for you. And I pray that you have a genuine concern for me and that we live in that relationship with each other. And that means something. It does something. Okay? And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, man, Timothy's a different guy. 
a lot of people think about themselves all the time and their own issues, but Timothy and he, he genuinely cares about the church. And again, not just his church, the Philippian church, who he is only connected to tangentially or whatever, right? That's the kind of person Timothy is. It's the kind of person Paphroditus is. Okay? That's the first characteristic. Emulate people who love God's people. Emulate people. Look to those people who love God's people and try to live like they do when it comes to loving God's people. Two, and more important, and more foundational, is look to people who are devoted to Jesus Christ. Who the number one thing in their life is Jesus Christ. Verse 25, skipping down to the story about Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So we've talked about those words already. Soldiers and, and citizens, athletes. Your messenger and minister to me. For he has been longing, longing for you all. And has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Okay? Yeah, notice just these little things. This ties back into the last one. Why is Epaphroditus story in Ashes? He's worried because he knows that the church has heard that he's sick. And he wants to get back to them to comfort and assure them that he's fine. Now. Okay? He's not upset because he's like, well, I had, I was really sick and I wish I had all you guys that he's, he's not worried about himself. He's worried about the pain and heartache his illness has caused his, his church back in Philippi. And Paul says it was actually worse than you heard, right? He wasn't just sick. He was in fact near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, if he had passed away, I what I would have done. Uh, I would have been, I would have been wrecked by it because he's been such an important part of my life. Uh, and he says, I am more eager, therefore, to sin, that you may rejoice seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. Right? He says, I want to bless you by sending these uh, the Epaphroditus back to you. And he says this, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Why? For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to him. So these two men are not just devoted to their congregations, not just devoted to the people of God, which is essential, but honestly in itself is not completely unique to Christians. If we're honest, right? There are other people who are devoted to their close, you know, network of friends. As we've talked about before, um, soldiers and athletes would be two great illustrations of that. And the camaraderie and unity of, of a unit of soldiers or an athletic team is, is pretty significant. And those people can be super tight. In fact, that's why Paul uses his illustrations, right? That's why he picks them. Okay? He doesn't say, let's all be a bunch of politicians together, right? He doesn't say that because he knows there's no unity or love there, okay? But in a, a military unit, in, a, in an athletic team, yeah, there's a lot of unity there. So he uses those as examples. But we also recognize that, you know what? Just because there is closeness and unity and, and concern for each other, by themselves, those things are short-sighted. By themselves, caring deeply about a community is short-sighted because in and of itself, it can't actually do what is best for that community. That's what I mean by that. So, so 
We've talked about the phenomenon of people replacing other groups for the church over the last couple of years, right? One of the most notable and popular ones is CrossFit. Okay, uh, there's been a market move of people basically treating their CrossFit group like they do their church. They talk about them like, oh, there are these people who love and care for me, and they're there for me, and they encourage me, and they keep me accountable, and they do all these different things. Okay, I don't have a problem with CrossFit, uh, but what I'm saying is the unity of that group. If you don't have a closest to the church, you can just sort of say, oh, well, this will be my community. This will be my tight knit community. But what's the problem there? The goals of something like CrossFit or a bowling league, or your kid's softball team, which is another one that I see in youth ministry all the time, right? People replace their church community for their kids' sports community, with parents and family that are involved in that. The problem is, is none of those groups can offer what is most ultimately important, or what is best for the people that you say you have this concern for. Devotion to a group of people is commendable, but if you separate that from devotion to Jesus, it is always something that has value in this world. Fortunately, and as we would expect, Timothy and Epaphroditus have dedicated their lives not only to this congregation, but they have dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ to accomplish what he has given them to do. Epaphroditus says he nearly died for the work of Christ. Again, man, that's very convicting to me because I look around and I go, you know what, maybe I haven't exactly had an opportunity to die for the work of Christ yet. It doesn't seem to be the main thing that's going on in Maryland, okay? Um, but it's challenging to us to say people have died for the work of Christ. People, even this day, are risking their lives for the work of Christ. Timothy, again, he says, other people seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy puts the needs of Jesus Christ first. And so what I'm going to do is, is I'm not going to go too in-depth into this this week because I'm going to elaborate on the point next week because Paul elaborates next week. He goes in-depth into some of this, this stuff right here. But I want to zoom out to close as we look at these two characteristics of devotion to Jesus Christ and genuine concern for his church. Jesus was once asked by Pharisee, what's the greatest commandment? In all the scriptures, you probably remember the story. It's in, I think, maybe not John, but at least the other three gospels. But in Mark's gospel, it goes like this. Jesus answers him, the most important commandment, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Those who love God and love their neighbor, especially those who love their neighbors who belong to the family of God, right? That's what we're talking about here. That's the, that's the, it's sort of like when you zoom out, you go, oh, yeah, that seems like it's pretty obvious, right? But when Paul says, you know who I want you to look to? You know who I want you to, to model your lives and character after? It's the two dudes who love God and love people, right? It's the two dudes who have put Jesus Christ before everything else and put the good of his church as, as the second most important. And Paul says, I want you to honor guys like that. It's right to honor people like that. So Timothy and Epaphroditus, um, they love God, they love people, they sacrifice for the cause of Christ and for the good of his church. 
They demonstrated that clearly. Notice that. These are not flash in the pan, lots of words, no action kind of guys. Epaphroditus has, has gone the distance and it's almost costly his life. The same thing is said of, of Timothy. He has proven his character in his service to the church. And as we talked about in the qualifications for deacons and elders over the last year, right? Have that monthly meeting next door. We've talked about what are the qualifications, what are the characteristics that we are looking for? Book of Timothy, Book of Titus, zoom in on some very specific ones. But man, these are the big zoomed outs. Okay? What are we looking for in elders? What are we looking for in deacons? What are we looking for in servants of the church? We are looking for men who are devoted to Jesus Christ and who have a genuine concern for the church of God. That's the main thing. All those other characteristics that we read in Titus and Timothy all fall under that category. But here's something else that we've often said over there in men's leadership meetings. In fact, it gets said just about every time. We'll go over some characteristics, and then somebody will say, yeah, but actually, isn't this just how we're all supposed to live? Like, aren't these the characteristics, these things, aren't we all just all supposed to do this? And the answer is, yes. That's exactly it. Every single one of us should be living as if we were qualified to be an elder. All right? Because that's the standard of faithfulness. Everybody should live that way. But we know that in a fallen world, not everybody does. We know that not everybody is going to live that way. But by the same token, we need to recognize that even those who are living that way, they're not going to be perfect. Right? They're not going to live perfectly in every single category. But it is something to aspire to. It is something to, to aim our lives at say, I'm going to live in such a way that if Paul were to see my life, he could say, look to so-and-so. Because, man... Nobody else I know is devoted to Jesus like they are. Nobody else I know has a genuine concern for the church and his things. That's a charge to me, right? As the elder currently. It is a charge to those who are nominated as elders and who will be future elders down the road. Is that the path to eldership is the path through sacrificial service to God's church and devotion to Jesus Christ. Any other path is beneath the office and the calling of elder, and it is beneath the office and calling of, of someone who Paul could point to and say, honor such men, live like they do, look to their lives and model your lives. That's a big, heavy weight. Okay? It is, it is a weight to say, I just don't think I'm up to that. I don't think people, sh I, I feel like I would be letting people down to, to look at me in those ways. That's true. It's accurate. None of us are those people. Okay? I don't know anything else about Timothy and Paphroditus that you don't know, but I guarantee they were sinners. I guarantee they had shortcomings. I guarantee there was somebody somewhere who was like, you know, I didn't like Timothy. I always thought he was sad and sure. Right? Like there was somebody somewhere who said it. And yet, again, the Bible never encourages us to go nitpicking about everybody's, uh, all their failures. Instead, it says, you know what? Instead of highlighting those failures, let's draw attention to the larger patterns of faithfulness that we see living, living in clearly. 
That doesn't mean overlook your sins. That doesn't mean when something bad goes down, you say, well, we just talk about that and just keep on looking this way. It's not what we're talking about. But it is to say, let us look to the faithfulness and not just always be looking to the failure in these situations. So what I want to do is go to the Lord in prayer and uh, just ask that he would work these things in our hearts and lives. Um, that he would Sometimes you make it so much more complicated than it is, right? And at the end of the day, it is about being devoted to Jesus Christ, devoted to his people. Um, that's what it's about. That's what Paul calls us to. That's what he says Timothy and Epaphroditus do. And he says, look to such men and live like they do. So let's ask God if he can tell us to do that. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we, we thank you for... Um, the way your word um, centers us, the way it realigns us, um, the way we can get um, down the road and, and lost and goofy in our own thinking, that we can be uh, more or less critical than you call us to be. Uh, we can place certain characteristics and, and categorizations um, about uh, life and ministry and leadership and, and, and individuals. God, we can build up all these things in our own thoughts and lives. Yet at the end of the day, your word depicts very clearly the men that you would honor. It is those who are devoted to Jesus Christ. It is those who love their neighbor as themselves. And particularly who love the church as themselves. God, are we going to fail in those things? I know we are. I know I am. God, we ask for forgiveness for sins. Help us to um, turn from sin and selfishness, of self-interest, uh, of being the people who Paul um, warns us about, those people who are not interested in the, the, the desires of Christ, but only in their own um, desires. God, help us to not be those people. Help us to not stumble into that trap. Instead, help us to be followers of Jesus Christ, devoted to him as a father and a son are devoted to each other as soldier, as athlete. God, as these other illustrations that we've used, the people who are working and serving and doing life together, that helps be those happening. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Uh, hope you can be here next week. Uh, I know I said this a couple weeks ago. I used to do this all the time. And the next verse I love. I love the next section. God, it's just so good. Um, I in, in youth ministry, I teach on it at least once a year, um, this section. So um, so you're just going to get three verses every seven hours and teach all the time. Uh, no, I'm going to work through it again, but it's good stuff. Um, and, and I can't wait to teach it. So uh, hope you're here next week as we... Uh, dig into to Paul basically continuing to talk about what we said there at the end about um, the surpassing grace and blessing it is to know Jesus Christ. That to be devoted to him is what it's all about. And, and he elaborates on that idea that we've seen in this passage as we go into next week. So I uh, hope you can be here for that. Um, hope you have a great week. Um, continue to remember your prayers. Uh, Nicholas Hiller. Um, if you probably many of you already knew that, but Alyssa's father passed away this last week, so um, she has been in California and making arrangements for for him, and he just continue to work through that. So obviously, many of us have, have dealt with the death of, of a parent and, and you know, the anguish she goes through. That so take care of them. Uh, maybe send them an encouraging word as you go through your work. Have a great week. See you next week. Here's this benediction you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you. Keep you peace. See you next week. Amen.